Well, good evening and welcome everyone. Thank you all for coming tonight to study the Bible together and to pray together. Is your week going okay? So far, so good. Well, let's pray for a, a so far, so good for the rest of the week as well. Uh, thank you for coming tonight. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time of Bible study tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for how gracious you are to us. Lord, you are good and loving to us uh, beyond measure, beyond what we can even imagine or comprehend, that you would, Lord, show mercy to sinners such as us, that you would even take notice of us. And yet, Lord, in eternity past, you decided to make us your own and to call us as your people. You decided to send Christ to redeem us and uh, to make us uh, a child of God. Lord, we thank you for your abundant grace that is lavished upon us. And we thank you for the privilege that we have tonight to gather together as your people, to study your word. And Lord, we just pray for wisdom tonight. We pray for understanding. We pray that our, our minds and our hearts will be open to receive your word. And Lord, we pray as always that your name would be glorified tonight. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned on Sunday, tonight we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And just launching into this series is quite an undertaking. Ecclesiastes is an enigmatic book. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to wrestle with in Ecclesiastes. And in fact, I, I saw this quote uh, today. This is a quote from someone who's writing on the wisdom books of the Old Testament. And he says, Ecclesiastes has long been regarded as the most enigmatic book in the Bible. Its refrain that all is vanity under the sun sounds more like 20th century existentialism than biblical faith. On the other hand, several times the book counsels its readers to grasp the joys of life as gifts from God. How these seemingly opposite themes are viewed leads to dramatically different understandings of the text. By composing the book's message in autobiographical terms, the author takes the readers along as he seeks to discover lasting significance in life. So as we walk through Ecclesiastes, we're going to see these different perspectives. Uh, on the one hand, there are going to be times when the author sounds very pessimistic about the nature of life and about what its meaning is and where meaning is to be found in this life. And so he'll express his frustration through this term, vanity, vanity of vanities. And so there are times when it seems very empty and elusive to him. But then there are other times where we see very positive, uh, just uh, here's good gifts that God has given to us. Enjoy them and and benefit from them and, and uh, delight in them during your time in this world. And then uh, we get to the end and we see how it all comes together. And so in a way, what Ecclesiastes is doing is it's, he's kind of taking us on a, a thought-provoking journey as he himself is observing different situations in life and trying to make sense of those different situations within the framework of a, a God-fearer, of someone who fears God, who trusts 
Yahweh, the Lord, but yet is trying to make sense of what happens in this world. And I think to kind of help us understand what the author of Ecclesiastes is, is doing, he's in a sense wrestling with uh, some of the proverbial wisdom that we see in Proverbs. So you read uh, proverbial wisdom, or even an example of it would be like in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, where we see that um, God blesses the righteous, but God brings the wicked to a disastrous end. That, that is a recurring theme in Psalms of wisdom, like Psalm 1 or Psalm 19. But also throughout much of Proverbs is God blesses the righteous, but God punishes and judges the wicked. But yet the writer of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with reality in which he sees that it's not always that simple cut and dry. That, that sometimes things happen where someone who is seemingly righteous and living their lives according to God's word, and they're struggling through life. Whereas a wicked person openly defying God's word seems to be enjoying wealth and the good life. And to situations like that, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, what's going on? This is vanity. This doesn't make sense. This is upside down. This is puzzling. It's enigmatic. And so he's kind of, it's almost like he'll say, it's almost kind of like the writer of Ecclesiastes is thinking out loud. He's thinking out loud. He sees something, he takes notice of it, he wrestles with it, and he kind of wrestles with it back and forth, and then he comes around to bringing us to kind of a conclusion on how we should think about that. And the ultimate conclusion comes at the end of the book in kind of setting the whole thing within the framework of honoring and fearing God, our Creator. So it's, it's a, an interesting journey through Ecclesiastes. And so I hope to be able to walk through it with you and, and try to make sense of this book. And so we come to the very first verse of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And I just want to kind of break down this verse and look at some important things here. First of all is the word teacher. Some translations there will have preacher. Uh, this is what the preacher says, the words of the preacher or the teacher. And what this is, is this is a, a Hebrew word, kohelet, which um, is kind of bringing together several aspects into what this individual is and what he does. It seems to be derived from a verb in Hebrew meaning to assemble or to gather. There's two ways of understanding that, that though, is... One way of understanding it is he is a gatherer, a collector of words, of wisdom. Another way of understanding it is that he is someone who gathers the people and teaches them. And I don't think we necessarily have to make a hard choice between those two, because I think in essence, he's doing both. He is gathering wisdom words of wisdom, but he's also then seeking to communicate that gathered wisdom to the assembly, to the people that have gathered together. And so <clears throat> it means something like 
a teacher or leader of the assembly. One commentator puts it this way, one who gathers material for education of the public, of the people of God. That kind of brings both of those ideas together in one definition. He's gathering words, wisdom, material, but then he's also doing it for the sake of the people to communicate this wisdom to them. And so we have this term teacher. The word Ecclesiastes, the title of the book, derives from the Greek term ekklesia, which is the word for church or assembly. So they're, they're, they're basing the name of the book off of this assembling idea that we see in that word kohelet. And so in the Latin and the Greek Bible, it's known as Ecclesiastes, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's referred to as kohelet, as the teacher or the one who gathers words to teach the people. And then we see something interesting in verse number one as well, where it identifies for us who this Kohelet, who this teacher is. He is son of David, king in Jerusalem, which raises a, a very important question for Ecclesiastes. And that is, um, who is the author of this book? Well, when we read son of David, king in Jerusalem, there's one person that comes to our minds, right? Who is that? Solomon, right? So is Solomon the author of Ecclesiastes? For really most of uh, church history and most of uh, rabbinic rabbi tradition, that was the view that Solomon was the author because of like verse chapter one, verse one, the, the son of David king in Jerusalem. And uh, we see other things in Ecclesiastes that seem to fit very well with Solomon as the author. Uh, for example, we see him in chapter two, engaging in extensive building programs, someone who is wealthy, uh, someone who had a number of servants under him, unequaled wealth. That seems to fit Solomon. Uh, we also read through the book of Ecclesiastes a, a familiar theme from the book of Proverbs, which is the fear of the Lord. So that, that seems to fit with Solomon being the author. But there's also, it, it's a complex question because a lot of commentators have, have looked at the language of Ecclesiastes and they've noted, and this really goes back to Martin Luther, beginning with the Reformation and the Martin Luther and moving forward, we have uh, Christian scholars, people reading Ecclesiastes in Hebrew, thinking that maybe someone later than Solomon put this book together. And a number of things point in that direction, such as uh, the way that the language is used, the, the vocabulary, the word structure, the sentence structure, things like that. Um, let me just give you an example of what I mean by this. Um, we don't, in 2021, we don't talk the way the King James Bible talks anymore, do we? So we can see, just going back 400 years, how the English language has changed, just in its vocabulary, in the structure of the sentences. Well, they do the same thing with Hebrew, and they look at vocabulary and the structure, 
and they can kind of see which time period a, a writing falls into. And from that vantage point, Ecclesiastes fits more with a time around the exile or even after the exile from Babylon. So there are many, many, even very conservative evangelical Christian scholars who suggest that Solomon was not the final author of the book of Ecclesiastes. That maybe we have someone after Solomon. So there's a lot of Solomonic material in Ecclesiastes, but someone maybe later is putting it together in its final form. It's hard to know for sure. Uh, It is kind of like the thoughts of the author. It is enigmatic in terms of who the ultimate author of the book is. But for our sake, we'll just continue to refer to it as Solomon because that seems to be the easiest thing to do is to refer to it as Solomon. And that fits with much of church tradition as well. And so one thought is that it's Solomon. And as I described a moment ago, someone, many scholars believe that maybe a later author around the time of the exile or after the exile finally put this book together with a lot of Solomon's material. But we'll call it uh, a book of Solomon. Verse 2 says, and this is kind of the theme verse of Ecclesiastes. You know how like if uh, going back to your days in school and you're writing a paper for your English teacher, your English teacher may have said, now in your introductory paragraph, I want a thesis statement, right? Or I want a a subject sentence, a, a topic sentence in your paragraph. I want to know what you're writing about. This is essentially what that is for Ecclesiastes. This is the overriding theme in verses two and three of the whole rest of the book that he's going to unpack and think about. And he opens it with really kind of uh, an exclamatory statement saying, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. And we see this phrase in the beginning of verse number two, everything is meaningless. And it brings into it um, one of the difficulties of reading Ecclesiastes is there is disagreement about what this word means. And just to show you that, let me give you some other translations. Most translations that we're familiar with, like the King James, New King James, here is the New American Standard Bible. They translate it, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So the same Hebrew word that the NIV translated meaningless, they've translated vanity. Utter futility, said Kohelet. Utter futility, all is futile. Uh, Another commentator with his own translation says, utterly enigmatic says Kohelet, utterly enigmatic. Everything is enigmatic. What does this word mean? Well, it is the Hebrew word, Hevel. And I gave you certain, uh, kind of a, a, a broad spectrum of what this word can mean. In some contexts, it means breath or like the wind. And at times in Ecclesiastes, he's gonna say, that pursuing this thing is like chasing the wind, right? How do you chase the wind? Well, you can, you can do it all you want, but are you ever going to catch the wind? You're never going to, right? You're going you're gonna to reach for it. You're going to grasp it. But what happens to it? It just slips through your fingers, right? 
It's elusive. Wind, vanity, empty is another way of translating this word. In some contexts, this word hevel can even refer to an idol, a false god. How, how does it do that? Well, because the biblical authors understand that this idol, this statue is really nothing, right? It's just, it's ephemeral. It's here, it's gone. There's really no substance to it. So what does this word mean? Does it mean purposeless? Does it mean futile? Does it mean vanity? Does it mean meaninglessness? And here's the hard thing about this word in the book of Ecclesiastes is it doesn't seem to have one and only one meaning in every single time it's used in Ecclesiastes. In other words, it can, this word has a broad range of senses and you kind of have to see how it's used in that individual context to see what shade of meaning the author is focusing on. So in certain contexts, he's going to focus on the fact that this is elusive. It's, it, you try to grab it, but it's gone. In other contexts, he's going to focus on just the futility of it, that you work and strive, and then it's just ultimately futile. It amounts to nothing. Uh, in other places, he might focus on just the meaninglessness of it all. In other places, he might focus on the fact that something is puzzling. You can't put it together, can't figure it out. It's, it's enigmatic. And so we kind of have to look at each context and see what he's focusing on in terms of uh, what this word means. And so he says, vanity of vanities or, or emptiness or futility, everything is futile. And that kind of gives us a perspective of the author as he launches out on this quest to find wisdom, to find significance, to find meaning, because he's going to realize that in so many pursuits of life, it comes to a dead end. It's, you, you try to grasp it, but it's not there. It is here and then gone. And this is a, a verse that we'll kind of come back to, and it'll repeat itself several times in Ecclesiastes. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Think about that phrase, under the sun. What does that mean? It essentially means our, our humanity, right? Our, our life in this world. I was thinking about that phrase one day, for some reason, it just hit me this way. I don't know why, but I was standing, standing in our backyard and all I could see at that moment were trees and sky. So I could turn around and I could see my house or my car. But at that moment, the only thing in my field of vision were trees and sky. And for some reason, it just hit me at that moment. This is, this is a viewpoint that I can share with every single human who has ever lived on this world, right? So someone 5,000 years ago would not know what a minivan is or a house with shingles and siding. Their mind wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. But I can share a vision with them that we both, it's like a shared reality, right? 
of they had trees 5,000 years ago, I have trees 5,000 years later. I can look up at the sky and see the sun, the same sky that they looked up at 5,000 years ago. That's kind of what the author is getting at here is, is there's, a, there's a sharedness among all humanity in all of our experience in this world, and you can kind of classify it as under the sun. We, we all deal with some of these things that he's going to wrestle with throughout this book. And one of the things that he wrestles with over and over again from different angles and after pursuing different things is what is the ultimate profit? What's the ultimate gain in whatever pursuit you're talking about? And so at one point, he's going to say, I explored wealth. I went after everything that I could possibly get my hands on. I amassed treasures, silver and gold and ships and houses and buildings. And at the end, he says, what's the point of it all? He, in another place in Ecclesiastes, he's going to launch himself into his work, into doing great projects. And so he says, so I, I, I invested myself and poured myself into endeavors, building great buildings, constructing things, making things beautiful. And at the end, he says, what's the point of all of this? He says, I, at another point, I engaged in all kinds of pleasure, food and drink and women and all of this. And I, and I at the end, I, I said, what's the point of it all? And so this is a, a book and, and the thoughts of the teacher, I think, are these things that he is going to, to walk us through are timeless, they're timeless and they fit every single person who's ever lived on this world under the sun. It's something that we all have to wrestle with. We all have to fight against this tendency to make wealth the goal and the be all end all of our lives. We all have to fight against this tendency to make pleasure and luxury the, the goal of our lives or, or fame or fortune or whatever, our work or career, notoriety. All of these things pull us in. But he reminds us through his wise meanderings and observations of life, we really have to ask ourselves the question, what's the point of it all? What's the point? What am I living my life for? And ultimately, I think the message of Ecclesiastes is we need a perspective that is more than just under the sun, don't we? We need a perspective above the sun that can only come from someone who lives above the sun, right? From God, who made the sun and the earth and all of us who live under the sun. So really the only way to make sense of this world is through the wisdom that God gives us, through his commands, through his instructions. And he's going to walk us through understanding how to think about the fear of God in the context of everyday life, which is full of mystery. It's full of puzzling things. It's full of enigmas, full of, at times, frustrations and futility. 
full of goals that are never met, desires that are never fulfilled, projects that are never completed, money that is amassed only to leave it to someone after us. And he's going to wrestle with all these things and show us that the right perspective is to view life under the sun from the viewpoint of above the sun, from God's viewpoint. And so I pray that as we kind of walk through this, we'll get a good understanding of God's wisdom and how to apply it to very real life. And I'm convinced that our world is looking for the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Our secular world, looking for meaning in all the wrong places. Solomon can be a good guide to help them realize that the end result of all of those quests is a dead end. And so this is a very timely book. It always is a timely book because it engages us in our humanity, um, our shared humanity across the generations. And so I pray God will bless us as we walk through this book. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for just the privilege to have this wisdom the privilege to be able to think on these things that have been left to us from the sages, the wise men of the past. We thank you for Solomon and his wisdom. We thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes. And Lord, I just pray that as we walk through it together, verse by verse and passage by passage, that you'll give us understanding, Lord, and help us to arrive at a, a broader, uh, bigger view of this world and how you work within it. Lord, teach us your truths. We thank you for all that you do in us and through us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.